You have to imagine it was tense in that room. It had only been a couple of days since Jesus' disciples had watched him be tortured to death. The trauma of it must have been palpable in their bodies in the air. Perhaps people were weeping, maybe pacing, maybe staring off into nothing, frozen. The doors of the house were locked because they were terrified that one of them could possibly be next, that the fury of the mob that killed Jesus could be reignited, perhaps by something as simple as just the, the mere sight of one of them going about their business. In a memoir she published about her life, Nell Gibson, this beautiful person I had the honor of worshiping with at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, she writes of her experience as a black girl living in Mississippi at the time that Emmett Till was murdered. Emmett Till, who we know is a 14-year-old, brutally tortured and killed by two white men after allegedly flirting with a white woman, had been visiting family not far from where Nell's family lived at the time. She was 13. Reading about his death in the paper and subsequently learning that his murderers were exonerated, just walking around out there in the world, her world, Nell suddenly found herself afraid to take the trash out in the evenings or go out by herself to bring dry clothes in from the line. She'd get into her bed at night and lie awake for hours, listening carefully to the sounds of the woods, convinced the killers were near, maybe coming for her next. And in those months, she developed an insomnia that she says remained with her for decades. I imagine the disciples in that locked room felt a little bit like 13-year-old Nell, unable to look away from gruesome violence that had just been done to a body like theirs and the real fear that one of them could be next. Then into this room, stiff with terror, Jesus appears. Peace be with you, he says. And then what is the first thing he does? He shows them his scars. I don't know if scars is even the right word, really. He shows them his hands and his side, the text says. And clearly the wounds, whatever they looked like in that resurrected body, were visible, they were legible. Because only then, upon seeing them, did his friends recognize him and rejoice. In her book of collected essays, The Cancer Journals, self-described black, lesbian, mother, warrior poet Audre Lorde writes about her experience with breast cancer. After her mastectomy and a pained desire to try to make peace with her new body, she chooses not to wear a prosthetic breast, instead just wearing her chest as it was, which was flat on one side. She writes about the tremendous criticism she received for that choice and the various ways people tried to press her, pressure her and even shame her into wearing a prosthesis. There was the volunteer, the fellow survivor of breast cancer, who came to visit her in the hospital as part of a recovery program right after her surgery and told, told her if she'd only wear an insert in her bra, she could effectively be the same as before. Though to herself, Lord felt radically different in every way that mattered. Everywhere she turned after her surgery, she was confronted by this, this insistence on what she called physical pretense. She tells the story of going to the doctor's office 10 days after her surgery to get her stitches out. And at that point, the color had just started coming back into her face. She'd washed her hair. She'd put on her most beautiful moonstone necklace. She felt proud. She felt pleased with herself. She felt good. When she walked into the examining room, the nurse said to her immediately, flatly, you're not wearing a prosthesis, and told her she should, that it would help her feel better. And besides, we really like you to wear something at least when you come in. Otherwise, it's bad for the morale of the office. Listen to what Audrey writes about this. She says, here we were in the offices of one of the top breast, breast cancer surgeons in New York City. Every woman there either had a breast removed, 
might have to have a breast removed or was afraid of having to have a breast removed. And every woman there could have used a reminder that having one breast didn't mean her life was over or that she was less a woman or that she was condemned to the use of a placebo in order to feel good about herself and the way she looked. Yet a woman who has one breast and refuses to hide that fact, a woman who has attempted to come to terms with her changed landscape and changed timetable of life and with her own body and pain and beauty and strength, that woman is seen, is seen as a threat to the morale of a breast surgeon's office. Can you imagine one of Jesus' disciples, Peter maybe, pulling the resurrected Jesus aside and telling him his disfigurement was bad for morale? <laughs> the disciples, like, averting their eyes, wishing his body was more presentable. I mean, Jesus' resurrection could have easily entailed some kind of reconstruction, right? He could have appeared with smooth, even hands inside so that someone just meeting him would have no idea he once hung from a cross. But no. God fashioned the body of the resurrected Christ, the triumphant, glorious, resurrected Christ, to testify to the pain it once knew. Audrey, too, wanted her body to testify. The prosthesis was recommended to her over and over with the assurance, nobody will know the difference. But she knew the difference, and she didn't want to erase it. She wanted to name it and affirm it, and in so doing, signal a survival strength to other women. And Audrey recognized this choice wasn't for everyone. She didn't judge or begrudge any woman for choosing otherwise. But for her, declining a prosthesis was an act of truth-telling and, as such, a vital starting place for solidarity. Perhaps Jesus' scars, too, were a sign of solidarity. He bears them to disciples who continued to live in the grip of privation and oppression, colonization under the shadow of empire, the powers that drove the nails into Jesus' hands and slashed his side that kept his people hungry and hopeless were still alive and flourishing, still bearing down upon the people in that room. The world Jesus' disciples still lived in didn't promise them safety or well-being, and they knew that. Perhaps only hands that also knew that truth, that held that truth, could offer a true word of hope and peace. Thomas, who catches a lot of slack for his performance in this story, he missed Jesus' appearance for the first time, but wouldn't settle for anything less than a direct, first-hand experience of the resurrected Christ. And why, why would he? I mean, Thomas's own body, after all, like the rest of his friends, all of whom had gotten to see and touch Jesus, Thomas's body, too, had been through something. And it took the meeting of hands, Thomas's fingers inside the tender flesh of Jesus's waist, for the sharp truth of the resurrection to seep as deeply into Thomas as had the pain and terror of the crucifixion. Have you believed because you have seen me, Jesus said to Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Jesus is talking about us here, I think. The generations of people who, like us, reach through ancient translated text, reach through centuries toward the rugged palms Jesus held out to his disciples in that room. However close we feel like we can get, it's indeed a reach. Thankfully, the body of Christ is also here in this room. It is us, friends. Our bodies are his body, and like his, our bodies have stories to tell.
it seems fair to say that every one of us in this room these past couple of years has been through something. And it's not over yet either, we all know that. The medically vulnerable and their loved ones know that especially well. Among us are those who have lost loved ones in this pandemic, have known anxiety, fear, loneliness. So much has been hard. Some of us have suffered financially or professionally. It's all been hard on parents and children and grandparents and families of every shape and size. We've suffered disappointment in institutions and individuals and an overall lack of solidarity. The pain and burden of the last two years hasn't landed on us equally or uniformly, but to be sure, each one of us in a way, in our way, has been through something. And today, Jesus appears to a people very much still in the thick of it and says, peace be with you with his rugged, wounded, outstretched hands. Hands that assure us that he and his victory is of and for this terrorizing world as it is right now. Receive the peace and power he breathes upon you today. Christ is risen, and so our bodies, our mortal, wounded and scarred, afraid, beautiful human bodies can rise to and rejoice. Alleluia.